Welcome to the first episode of Connect with Encompass Health. I'm your host, Hilary Carnell, Associate Director of Public Relations. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to give you an overview of Encompass Health and what you can expect from our new podcast. Encompass Health operates more than 130 inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, and we have home health and hospice locations across the country. Inspired by the wealth of knowledge and experience from our clinicians across the company, we decided to launch this podcast that will provide tips to help you improve your clinical practice, mental health, and overall well-being. On our inaugural episode, we're honored to be joined by Barb Jacobsmeyer, who is Encompass Health's Executive Vice President, President of Inpatient Hospitals. Thanks for being here, Barb. You're welcome. So that everyone is a little more familiar with your role and your area of oversight, tell us about your role as Executive Vice President and President of Inpatient Hospitals. Well, Hillary, I began my career as a physical therapist, and today I'm responsible for the operations for 137 rehabilitation hospitals across the country, with several others currently under construction, and care that's delivered annually to over 184,000 patients. And I take pride in the ultimate responsibility for over 31,000 employees. You definitely have a lot on your plate, Barb. If there's one thing that I could tell you from working in communications for so many years, it is that everyone has a story. So aside from your role at Encompass Health, what's your story, Barb? Well, I was born in a family of seven. My parents had uh, my older sister, and 11 months later had my twin and I. We also had two younger brothers. Unfortunately, my youngest brother died at the age of 41 from a heart attack. My father worked at a light bulb assembly plant, and my mother's family with far- were farmers, and my mom never graduated high school because they needed her help on the farm. No one in either of our families had ever gone to college, but thanks to a little healthy competition with my twin sister, rather than assume a predestined future, we broke the mold and proudly became first-generation college graduates. As a first-generation college grad, too, I completely understand. And while I know everyone experiences their own challenges in college, for me, it was hard not being able to lean on my own parents for once for guidance on something. And at times, I felt like I was, I guess, navigating the system on my own. Um, so what's interesting is that there's a lot of data from the U.S. Department of Education that discusses higher dropout rates and lengthier degree completion times for first-generation college students. So you really did beat the odds going through the education process. So what led you to a career in rehabilitation? Well, as I mentioned earlier, my undergraduate degree is in physical therapy. I chose that because my high school actually offered a class called healthcare occupations. At that time, I thought I wanted to be a nurse, but what the um, curriculum offered was not only understanding a little bit about medical terminology, but allowed you to pick three potential career choices that you would go and shadow for a couple weeks at a time at a local acute care hospital. I chose nursing, physical therapy, and respiratory therapy to shadow, and I really fell in love with what I saw in physical therapy, and hence my decision to become a physical therapist. I also loved my profession and spent my first years focusing on helping patients regain independence after devastating injuries. It didn't take me long, however, for me to encounter one of my biggest challenges. One year after starting my very first physical therapy job, they asked me to take on a supervisor role. I was like, what? I can't supervise people, especially a group of people that are more than experienced than me. However, I did look at it as an opportunity to grow and develop, so I accepted the challenge. My management career started one year out of undergrad schooling. After that, I went back for my master's in healthcare management. I went on to serve as the hospital's chief operating officer and then ended up serving as CEO before I became regional vice president for Encompass Health. My next step was regional president where I oversaw 24 hospitals before assuming my current position in December of 2016 as the EVP. Very impressive. 
Recently, you spoke at a women's summit, and I was fortunate to be able to listen and support that event. The information was really interesting and generated a lot of great questions from the audience about professional growth. Then afterward, as you probably remember, I jokingly asked our IT professional that was assisting us how he enjoyed his first women's summit. When he asked if I could send him the slides you presented on being a high, middle, and low performer, I realized what great information that was for anyone, a manager or an employee looking to assess their own performance. So let's talk about that a little more. Can you share with us how you assess the performance level of your employees and yourself and how that assessment helps you as a leader and employee? Absolutely. As a manager, this is a great exercise to do on a regular basis, maybe every six months or so. As an employee, we also need to ask ourselves where we fit in this analysis. Who are your high, middle, and low performers? And as a manager, you have to ask your question, do you know who they are? Who are they in your organization? And how are you measuring their performance? As an employee, you have to think, where do I fall in, especially as we talk about the descriptions of these performers? So let's start with describing high performers. Think of your team, think of yourself, who fits in this this description? High performers are the go-to people. You want it done, they're the ones to give it to you. Others go to them for guidance and help. Coworkers are consistently complimenting them. They're productive, they lead by example with their peers and you would be devastated if they left. The questions to ask as a manager is, what do I do to continue to motivate my high performers? How do I recognize them? Do they know they're my high performer? How am I going to retain them? And what can I learn from them to use to mentor my other employees? As a manager, you have to ask yourself, how have I acknowledged these individuals? Many times as management, it's the old 80-20 rule. We do spend 80% of our time on 20% where there's more opportunities for growth. And it's no different when managers and their staff. But it is critical to not ignore your top performers. So let's identify your middle performers. Who are they? They do their job. They need some direction. They often float right under the radar. And meet expectations describes them very well. So how can a manager invest in these type of employees? What goals have I talked with them about to work towards reaching a high performer status? What barriers are preventing me from being recognized as a high performer? And how could I be mentored to the next level? So whether you're a manager or an employee, it's important to understand who are the middle performers? Am I a middle performer? And if so, what can I do to become a high performer? And then finally, we have the low performers. The low performers are everyone who knows who they are. Sadly, many times people roll their eyes when someone mentions them. True to the 80-20 rule, they do take the majority of your time. If someone new stepped into your management job tomorrow, they may wonder why this person is actually still there. So how should I reflect on low performers as a manager? Why are they still here? It speaks to your ability as a leader. Do they know they're a low or a poor performer? That should never be a surprise on a performance evaluation. What goals have we established together and do they know the consequences of not reaching those goals? Do we realize that this group can bring down the rest of the team? And how long have I tolerated the poor performance and why? Now that I got you thinking, you can't overreact, but you can meet with your staff and be honest and objective and create a plan for improvement. This exercise flows back to giving constructive criticism So know that your team is a reflection of you as a manager and understand your team and take the opportunity to cultivate them where they are in their performance level. A strong team will only reflect more positively on you as the manager. 
So as a manager, you have to make difficult decisions when looking at your team. At the summit, you mentioned that you actually receive holiday cards from employees you've had to let go in past roles. How do you navigate these situations, cultivating employees while also realizing that someone may not be a good fit for your team? So that's a great question, Hillary, because over my years of management, I have managed out probably over 100 people. And it's not something I take pride in. In fact, it still gives me indigestion. But what I do take pride in is that it has never been a surprise. And you're right, I do still get Christmas cards from people that I managed out. Why? Because they know I did my part in trying to help them be as successful as possible. And in fact, if they weren't, many were actually apologetic. But the best news is that for the hundred that I may have managed out, there are thousands that I've mentored to be managed up and to be successful in their role, and some to even progress in promotions and other roles, all because I feel I was willing to give them the constructive feedback that they needed to grow. But an important element is that they also have to be willing to hear the feedback, look in the mirror, and make some changes. And that's difficult. Receiving constructive criticism is really hard. No one wants to really hear about what they could do better. But how else are we going to improve? You know when you walk in the bathroom and you have spinach in your teeth and you think, wow, why didn't anyone tell me I had spinach in my teeth? If there are things that would make you an better employee, Wouldn't you rather know them than to know others know and aren't telling you? Okay, now that we realize that we would really rather know, if you're a manager, tell them and teach them. If you're an employee, be open to that constructive criticism. It's there to just help you be better. I ultimately want my legacy to be that I've mentored and developed future leaders, and I can only do that if I'm willing to have those tough, constructive conversations. We've talked a lot about managing teams and how you've worked to motivate and develop others, but how have you taken care of yourself along the way? Well, I would always advise folks to be very careful of chasing the 50-50 work-life balance because I'm here to tell you it doesn't exist. I have three children, two dogs, and a husband with a busy career, and there are days when my work gets 80% of me and home's probably only getting 20% of my efforts. But other days, when things are caught up, I'm not going to feel guilty about giving some extra attention to home. I'm not going to feel guilty about taking a PTO day to spend more time with my family. Many times, we bring that guilt on ourselves. So I encourage everyone to find a balance, even if it's not the proverbial 50-50. And although it's important to have goals and aspirations, I caution people to be careful that they don't spend their time looking so far ahead for what you ultimately want or think you deserve, or you may fail being the best you can be in your current role. I feel I was tapped for my roles and my promotions along the way, and I think it's because my focus was being on the best I could be in the current role and responsibilities that I had. However, you still need to take care of yourself. No one else is going to care for you like you can care for you. I've been interviewed by healthcare management interns, and many times when it's a woman, they ask, how did you balance young children and your job early in your career? I tell them I have very important advice for them. I think they're anxious to hear some profound advice, and instead my word is house cleaner. (laughs) Then they usually laugh, but I explain that early in my career, I felt I wasn't doing anything well. I spent long hours at work, and on weekends, I just wanted to play with my kids, but my house was a mess, and my baby was crawling around on a dirty floor. I remember telling my husband, I'm getting a house cleaner. A dirty house may not be your trigger, but find the things that are conflicting with your ability to create that life-work balance and give yourself a break. Take time for sleep, 
for exercise, to eat lunch. We are a better parent, child, spouse, just a better us if we're taking care of ourselves. Thanks for joining us today, Barb. To our listeners, stay tuned for more episodes of Connect with Encompass Health coming soon. In the meantime, you can connect with us online by visiting blog.encompasshealth.com. Great advice, Barb. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. And for our listeners, stay tuned for more episodes of Powered by Care that will be coming your way soon. In the meantime, you can stay connected with us online by visiting the Encompass Health Connect site at blog.encompasshealth.com.